Welcome to our next episode of Mejita Talks. Today we're talking about one of my most favorite subjects to talk about, company culture. I'm very honored to have our guest today, Bill Kaiser. He's the Vice President of Sales for CultureWise. Welcome, Bill. Hi, Sherry. Thanks. It's uh, great to be with you. Well, I, I'm not lying when I say that culture is really one of my most favorite things to talk about. And I think, you know, you can go in a lot of different directions with it. It's such a topical topic today. And, you know, I think people are confused at exactly what it is and what it means. So I hope today we can kind of refine that and give our members and our listeners maybe some actionable things and how they can look at their own company culture. Um, you've been a Mahita member for a while, and I know you've also worked with some Mahita members, so you're very familiar with the material handling industry. Um, so that's really exciting, too, to get your perspective on that. Sure. Um, so I thought we'd just start a little bit talking about CultureWise and your role there. So if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of background on CultureWise and what you do with them. Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, it is quite the buzzword, culture. You can't open up anything without bumping into the word culture. So I'm glad to share my perspective and, and uh, uh, the way you teed this up is perfect in terms of there's confusion and let's demystify culture today. Let's make it, let's simplify it, right? Not everything has to be complex. So let's have some fun on one of your favorite topics and certainly one of my favorite topics. So culture-wise, we're, it's really our branded name. We've been around for six years um, and, and what you were alluding to uh, earlier, Sherry, that the culture has a, I think everyone agrees, culture has a tremendous impact and influence on how our people do what they do in our companies. And how they go is how we go in terms of an organization and bottom line. So one, the enormous impact that culture has on performance. Two, we're all competing. Mahita members are competing in wickedly competitive worlds. And culture is a distinct competitive advantage, not only in terms of winning more business, but winning the war for talent, which is not getting, it's not an easy war to win, I should say. So if those two conditions exist and we agree upon that, then we as leaders have to be much more intentional and systematic with how we define our culture, how we drive it, how we leverage it, and how we teach it in our organizations. And that's what gives us the separation between all the other lookalike companies that we're competing with. Culture drives performance, and we provide leaders with the plan on how to actually do something about it and move the needle. Well, that's excellent. So let's go back to one of the things you mentioned is an organization needs to define culture. And I think that's such a great starting place. I've worked with organizations that, you know, the leadership certainly has an idea of what they believe their culture is. But when you talk to other people within the organization, their idea of that might be a little bit different. So to kind of start, how do you really get your arms around defining what your current company culture truly is that's an interesting question i'm glad you bring it up because i think it's 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 how you look at this defining culture to your point is should be a simple process culture is about how people act and behave and behave is this is the key word here so that's how you define culture it's your friends have a certain your friend group has a certain culture your current company has a certain culture i'm not so sure if we need to define what our current culture is but as leaders, we're trying to define the culture that we want. And that's where we have to go, I believe, that most of us, anyone listening to this podcast or watching this podcast probably has an okay culture already, but it's taking it to the next level. And it's how do I separate from everybody I'm competing with? And culture is really the foundation for driving uh, change and being better tomorrow than we are today. So 
people will ask me often, Sherry, you know, we want to assess our culture and then we'll determine where we need to go. And I'm not so sure that's necessary because we as, this is a leadership function. The leaders define the mission, the vision, and what our culture should be. And so the leadership team defines that based upon thinking about those all-star employees we have, how do they behave? We want more of them. Let's establish the recipe, teach that recipe to everybody. And now we've just, we've gone from, you know, a handful of all-star performers to the majority of our team are all-star performers. And now we've moved the needle. So I, I think it's defining what we want it to be different than what perhaps it is right now, but assessing the current culture. I don't know if that's a necessary step. I hope that's not, the wrong answer or what you were weren't <laughs> you weren't looking for that but i think it's more about let's where do we want to be with our culture what kind of company do i want to be oh, i think that's a great point because it can be a lot of wasted time trying to get your arms around maybe what it currently is because there yeah. might be so many different opinions and once you get all that information what do you do with it so i love the idea of just as a leadership team figuring out what you want it to be yeah. and now our next step really driving that culture throughout the organization. So can you give us some just tips on how you would then, now you've defined your culture, what you want it to be. How do you then drive that message through the organization? Yeah, and I think, Sherry, from your experience, I'm sure you deal with this all the time, all of us have managed from the latest book we've read. And we get, we get romanced by the shiny new toy, and we read about something and we roll it out to organization mm -hmm. only to roll out something new seven weeks from now, and that great idea that we had eight weeks ago just becomes a thing of the past and it never took hold in our organization. So this is the point I think that's critical and where we help, it's almost as important. Step one is to define the behaviors that are fundamental to your success. That's define the culture with the behaviors, not values. We can come back to that if you want, but it's deeper dive than values. The second step is what are we going to do with that now? And we have to come up with a way to systematically, consistently, teach and teach and teach those behaviors to our team so that rather than behaving five out of 10 times the way we want our folks to behave, we behave seven, eight, nine, 10 out of 10 times because of the constant teaching. We know how we change behavior and how you internalize and go towards a behavior change. You internalize something that requires repetition. So the process and the second most important step is exactly this, ritualizing the practice of these behaviors and having a systematic way to embed it in your organization. And that's what we help leaders do. That's part of our simple plan, really. Uh, you touched on so many good points there, and I love the idea of repetitiveness. So I do a lot of work in branding with organizations and you know, there's always a frustration of, well, we came up with a new plan and we rolled it out and we told everybody what it is and now, you know, nobody's paying attention or now it's reverted back. And people do tend to get, just as human nature, we tend to get very impatient and want yeah. change to happen super quickly. So I think setting that realistic expectation that it takes repetition, it takes years of repetition sometimes to get to that place you eventually want to be. Well, yeah. um, you know, and I think you made another really good point about kind of managing by the last book you read on leadership. Sure. And there. a lot of, I've done, and I, I've seen it happen and I've done it myself where you read a really good tip, but it, it changes the organization too frequently. And I think going back to your point of repetitiveness, you got to kind of stick on the path and stick yeah. with the message. And I, um, and I think, and that's the, the value of, there's all kinds of wonderful cliches, but you know, it's, it, I, I think in pictures often, and I think about 
on January 8th, when we roll up to the, the, the local gym that we belong to, we can't find a parking spot on January 8th because everyone has the intention of getting and exercising more and getting in better shape at the beginning of the year. But if you roll into that parking lot in February, on February 8th, you get rock star parking. You pull right up to the front because it's hard to have the discipline to stick to certain things. And that's why you have to, in a sense, establish rituals around certain practices that are going to happen no matter what. We get up in the morning, we brush our teeth. We don't think about it. It's something that became a habit to us starting very early in life. And we've also, that's what we have to do with our practice and these behaviors is continually teach. We have to set up the curriculum and then deliver, 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 and then it becomes a habit. And oh, wow, cool, it internalizes. It, it becomes part of our walk, not just our talk. That's great. So, you know, we kind of talked about driving change within an organization, but the other component that I don't know, in my experience at least, is focused on enough, is the hiring of people into the organization that you've already kind of established this culture. And, and I want to use the example of field service technicians. So a field service technician, very common role in the industry, very hard to find. A lot of times everybody needs technicians. There aren't as many available as we'd all like. So if we look at field service technicians, they're our first interaction, our daily interaction with a lot of customers. So they're such a critical role to a lot of Mahita members. Now, there is some debate on hiring for technical skills versus kind of cultural fit. Yeah. And the, the old school mentality was you want to hire a technician with a ton of experience and can hit the road the first day and start billing, you know, and, and sure. really be able to fix the customer's equipment. And there's been very little focus, at least in what I've seen, on hiring for the cultural fit and do they have some of those qualities that they need to effectively interact with customers and create that positive experience so can you give us some guidance just so, and, and i understand you need both but from a hiring perspective can you kind of give us your take on who to look for in that capacity sure and and you brought up a you know uh, a position with a lot of mahita members i mean that's a that's a turnover uh, position that averages perhaps 30, I think the industry norm is around 35% turnover for field technicians. And you and I both know the cost of turnover. I saw an article saying that a $45,000 position, annual position, the cost of replacing that person, bare minimum, is 15 grand. And if you're starting and you have 35% turnover in an organization, yikes, that, that certainly impacts the bottom line. You mentioned two things. Technical skills are very important. No doubt about it. So what I'm about to say does not erode the importance of technical skills, but you can't teach heart. And when you, and, and the beauty of establishing and defining with great clarity, the culture that you want in your organization, these behaviors are critical to us. We make, we're easy to do business with. We listen like champs. Um, we speak straight. We do what's best for the customer. Um, we pay attention to the details. We leave your home cleaner or your workplace cleaner than when we got there. All, whatever the behaviors are, when you define them with great clarity, you've defined your culture, it makes it a lot easier to now go find the person that fits behaviorally in your organization. So technical skills, great. You have, that's, that's, that's ticket to the ball game, but boy, there's a lot more. And I think it is more important to find the people that will fit your organization because they're the ones that stay. They're the ones that bring others to your organization. They're the ones that aren't leaving and thinking the grass is always greener. 
because what you're providing to them, the environment that you've created, they unpack their bags when they get there. So yes, I think that, are you gonna go 10 for 10 with new hires on field techs? No, but eight out of 10 is a lot better than going five out of 10. So I think that it's a great question and yep, it's important technical skills you have, but I can teach you some of those. And we are who we are. You come walking in for an interview and if customer service and that interaction with one of our customers is not really something you enjoy, I got to figure that out. That's a huge part of the role. I can't necessarily teach you that. And that's where I go back to, you can't teach height and you can't teach heart. We've got to find heart. And that's why you've got to clearly define what are the behaviors that drive success here and now go find it. Here's the beautiful thing. Little caveat, Sherry, I think you'll agree. When you have a culture that's well-defined and articulated, and it's a great place, the good people find you. You're not always just looking for them. And I think that's a great sign of a high-performing culture is that there's a line of people, maybe that's an exaggeration, but great people are finding you because they want to be part of what you've created. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's an excellent point. And so that kind of, you know, we talk about driving culture within an organization and that repetitiveness really teaches the hiring managers what to look for. You know, sure. and so if you don't start there and they don't have that, it's hard to hire for culture if you don't even know what it is and your exactly. hiring managers don't know who it is, what it is either. Um, you know, so I think from a progression standpoint, that all makes a lot of sense, but we all know that it's not as easy as coming up with culture and telling everybody what it is and, you know, repeating it over and over, that there are some roadblocks. There are a lot of challenges. People, you know, can be fearful of change. So what do you find are some of the biggest roadblocks you've seen in really becoming a high-performing culture? I think the biggest, Sherry, is a lack of ownership at the top. This is a leadership function. The leadership team has to be behind this. You know, the C, I always say the CEO is also the CCO, the chief culture officer. If this is not something you delegate to a committee and, you know, as a leader of this particular material handling equipment company, I'm going to check in with you every six months and Sherry, give me a report on how we're doing with culture. And I'm not visibly living and breathing these behaviors that we espouse and we're asking everyone else, you know, the hypocrisy is what grinds a lot of efforts to a halt. If this is a leadership function. Leadership has to be behind this visibly. Um, and, and I think when there's a lack of that, it would prevent me from working with someone if there was a leader that was kind of arm's length and really didn't believe it, but you know, one of the executives on the team thinks it's important. And there, I have, I have a, a, a particular prospect that I, I was speaking with recently in material handling equipment uh, space. And a leader was, you know, everyone, I have to be careful of, they were going by their own set of rules when the rest of the organization was to follow this set of rules. And that, you can't have that hypocrisy. And I think that would, that's the greatest obstacle is lack of ownership from leadership to making this priority number one. I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more. And sometimes I think leadership, depending on the size of the organization, leadership sometimes thinks, well, the grassroots employees don't know me. They don't know what I'm doing or if I'm following or if I'm not. And the reality is people know a lot more than oh, you yeah. think they know. And no people doubt. Lot. So even if you if you're being perceived as not following some of those guidelines, it negatively impacts your culture. 
Um, so I want to switch gears uh, just a, a little bit, still staying on culture, but, you know, over what we went through in 2020 and are still going through today in some capacity, there really was a huge change in the, in the industry had very little people that work from home. You know, I know other industries have kind of gravitated to those models. Material handling itself, um, there's a lot of roles you can't work from home, but there are a lot of roles that they had to change to work from home given the pandemic. Do you see any changes in, in culture with now a greater percentage of the workforce working from home and maybe not having that day-to-day -day interaction that yeah. they used to have? It's a um, hot topic, I guess, if you will, and the, the, the new normal or the next normal, whatever you want to call it. There's no doubt it's the days of culture being built from gathering around the lunch table or the water cooler right? You know, in many instances, now you've got field techs and you've got people that are in the building, but it's presented a challenge for a lot of companies. And I know I'm biased, but communication is critical to culture. Regular communication, structured, intentional communication. And I think when we go back to how we practice and how we embed the teaching of these behaviors into our system, that gives us a platform and a curriculum to continually teach, whether it's via Zoom, whether it's being information sent out via app, no matter where you are, you create the, the, um, the curriculum to continually communicate with your team and you can kind of gather around. So your culture message and your practice of your culture becomes a common thread, whether you have 16 locations, which was always a challenge with culture, or you have people working at home. We give a reason, there's a reason for us to continually meet and teach. We're not wondering, what am I gonna say? Like we haven't, I haven't seen you in 14 weeks now, Sherry. What, Oh no, we, we get together weekly meetings and we discuss part of our curriculum is discuss our, our fundamental or behavior of the week. And I've, I've had clients, a, a turf company in mid-America, um, uh, mid in Ohio, that they do athletic fields. And it's very similar. Most of those folks are out working outside, but you've got some office staff that they're not in the office anymore. And their practice of their fundamentals, we call these behaviors fundamentals, was the common thread that kept them all together. The routine teaching and coaching and discussing of their culture was a common point and it allowed people to continually stay in the loop. And I think that's critical um, because absent the intention, what am I talking about today? What are we going to get together? Um, Zoom's been a big plus with that. I know I think there's fatigue around it, but I can look at you in the eyes right now. You and I are making eye contact, even though it's a, and I think that um, you give people a reason, a topic to discuss on a regular basis. Um, we can make this thing work and even enhance our culture in the remote environment. Agreed. I think there's been a fear of not having that face-to-face -face communication because those are historically how relationships had been built yeah. and transferring to this new model, which I really believe is going to stick around. I think this will be a permanent change in society to, in a lot of ways. Not that we're not going to get together again, but people have found they like working from home. And customers have found they like working from home, you know, so I think we just have to change our mentality of what communication looks like, you know, yeah. as everything changes. That's well um, said. So thank you for that. Um, you know, you talked about, you had mentioned in, in this last segment about Zoom meetings and coming up with a behavioral topic to talk about. So is that one of your recommended ways of continually communicating culture? Yeah, and, and key to what you just said is, you know, how do you maintain this and how do you avoid the flavor of the month is there has to be a continual, systematic way to discuss this stuff. 
And, and that's what we help leaders is we set up that system. So there has to be, you know, 10,000 hours or whatever to form a habit. We've seen many books on, you know, atomic habit. Um, for this stuff to sink in, it's the regularity, it's the consistency. And I would say, Sherry, that that's more important, as important, sometimes more important than how you define your culture, the behaviors that you come up with, 25 of them that define culture at Mahita. That's an important step. We talked about that as step one. It's what you do with it now. You have to con regularly communicate for this to, to, and that's where the leadership comes in. And that's where you have to say, okay, we're going to look at one of these a week. And we're going to start meetings with a reflection of our fundamental or behavior of the week. And then we're going to have maybe a little lesson, a scenario-based lesson that comes out via app or email. And we're going to test each other each week on our fundamental. And we're going to talk about it. And now all of a sudden that those words come off the wall. And maybe what I, I'm in a situation where I'm having a tough customer who's treating me at arm's length and I'm there to repair their forklift or help them with their inventory management system. And I see that they have a calendar in their cubicle and I, and I see that you have vacation. Hey, Sherry, I noticed you have a vacation circled. Anything, you know, I'm taking a chance because we don't really have a close relationship. So you, haven't, you haven't gotten buddy-buddy with me. And I say, I see you have a, a vacation coming up. And all of a sudden you blossom because I made it about you which is one of our fundamentals. And, and now all of a sudden we've got people living and breathing this stuff. The artwork turns into action and you can't get that by chance. You have to be systematic with the teaching and the over communication, the regular consistent communication or it falls by the wayside. I think that's such a great point because I've seen it not only material handling, but in other companies where, you know, it's a list of, of behaviors on a, you know, a wall or in an employee handbook or yeah. you give everybody a plaque that they hang up in their office. But with anything that you see all the time, it just becomes part of the background, you know, just yeah. printing it and having yeah. it on your desk does nothing unless no, you talk about what that is. So I think that's really important. It has to go beyond communicating it once and printing it out for everybody. And it goes back to what you talked about in the consistency of, of communication. Yeah, it can't be it can't be just page five of the new hire packet. I, I always right. joke about this, Sherry, you know, I carry around a, a fitness app on my phone. I'm not in any better shape. I thought just by carrying it around I would be in better no, you actually yeah, have to apply this. It doesn't work. <laughs> Right. Oh, oh, I'm supposed to do something with it. Yeah. <laughs> just because the words are on the wall. That doesn't, you know. Right. No, that's not a good point. So you have made it to our lightning round. Uh oh, which I was is, nervous about this. I know, I know. People do get nervous about it, but our listeners love the lightning round. It gives us a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So um, I always try to start off a little bit easy. These are going to be 10 quick questions. First answer that comes to your head. And are you ready for this? I am. I am so ready. Okay. Um, we'll start with what's your favorite food? Warm food. <laughs> <laughs> A pizza. Deep dish or thin crust? Thin. Okay. Um, what leader do you admire the most? Our founder, I've worked with, I was partners with him in the insurance business. So, you know, David Friedman is, is the CEO and co-founder of CultureWise. I've learned a lot from David. I was a partner of his in the insurance business and now, you know, I'm his vice president of sales. I think he's uh, he's taught me an awful lot. I learned from a lot of people. I learned from my father. Um, I observe, I can't, not one person, I learned my, my, my son-in-law, my son, you know, I, I take a little bit from everybody. 
in terms of you know modeling and i think i have a pretty good gut myself but i think that's that's my lightning round answer first <laughs> all right would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals that is that is a wonderful talk to animals that would be very insightful no although doubt. i don't know i want i want to know what my dog has to say about us <laughs> um what do you think is the best age to be 59 because that's what i am <laughs> it gets better every year well i'm certainly hoping for that <laughs> now do you would you rather have your margarita frozen or on the rocks i'd rather have an ipa i'm not a margarita guy <laughs> fair enough if there's a spider in your house do you kill it or set it free uh, just happened yesterday. My daughter and grandson and son-in-law are visiting, and I saw a panic look on my daughter's face. She goes, she was on the phone. There's a big spider. It was on. I picked it up. It was a pretty good size one, and threw it outside. So I didn't kill it. Good for you. Uh, spiders are dead in my house the second they're spotted. Um, are you a morning person or a night owl? I am such a morning person. I'd rather start my day at 4 a.m. and go to bed at 8 than start my day at 7 and go to bed at 10. Now, I know a lot of us haven't traveled in a while, but when you were flying, did you put your seat back on a plane? I will if I'm sensing that the person behind me doesn't have their knees in their throat to begin with. So I am very mindful. If I go back, there's either no one behind me or they're not someone that's six foot five. I'm not going to do it to them, him or her. All right. What's your favorite game to play on your phone? I don't know what it's called. Well, I play solitaire, but there's a new one where I'm putting shapes in and different shapes. I don't know what it, hold on. I can give you an answer right now. <laughs> this is authentic. Block puzzle is my latest Block favorite. puzzle. I'll have to look that one up. There you go. Um, and finally, what would you say is your biggest guilty pleasure? Sweets. Yes, I can, I can appreciate that. Um, so you've made it through the lightning round. Congratulations. Um, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us today. Do you have any final words you want to leave our audience with? Um, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. I did like your lightning round questions. I got a little squirmy on a couple of them. Um, I think my message to anybody that listens to this is that culture, I hope that we've demystified it in a sense. Not all great initiatives in our organizations need to be complex. There's a simple way to go about moving the needle with culture and culture has such an enormous impact that I hope you're kind of motivated, like be intentional with it. High performing cultures don't happen by chance. They happen by design. And there's a way to go about doing it, which is more than pizza parties and water balloon tosses. And I think that um, I encourage folks to really say, hey, this is gonna move the needle in your organization. This is how you separate from all the lookalikes in your business. When you're intentional and systematic about it, okay, that's where you find that separation. So look at it more closely. I don't think there's anything more important we can work on in our companies. Well, thank you so much, Bill. I've learned something in this. I know our listeners will get something through this. I appreciate you giving your time to Mahita, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thank you, Sherry, for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. Thank you. You've been listening to sweets now. <laughs> I'm kind of hungry myself, I think, after that. You've been listening to Mahita Talks with Sherry Altergat, Chief Experience Officer at the CX Edge. I look forward to seeing everybody on the next episode. Thank you. Bye.